Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Higher Ed Geek Podcast. Uh, we are back from our summer break with this episode number 131 with Eric Gibbs from Original. Uh, we are going to deep dive uh, an area you haven't explored uh, on the podcast before, but uh, really re- relevant and uh, very important. That being uh, academic integrity and the tools and approaches we use to support that with students uh, to make sure that they understand uh, what they should and shouldn't be doing. So um, I found this conversation fascinating. Eric talks about it, I think, in a very uh, understandable way and uh, a way that is very uh, educational uh, with students and uh, isn't overly sort of punitive with them. So uh, really appreciated the time with Eric and all that he shared some great uh, resources as well. So definitely uh, connect with him, uh, the work that his team is doing and all that he mentioned. Uh, appreciate you listening. Uh, always a quick note, uh, check out our merch store. Uh, we've got great stuff on there. There's always sales going on. Uh, link is in the description of this episode. Uh, and always appreciate everyone's support and uh, your uh, time listening to this episode. Uh, this is episode number 131 with Eric Gibbs. Well, I'm excited here, uh, this episode being as we're getting back from summer break, academic years starting, uh, a lot to talk about, uh, but uh, really excited to explore an area that, uh, you know, as we have been this year, obviously there's so many different kind of facets and nuances of higher education, education technology, and uh, now kind of getting into uh, academic integrity and the tools that we use to try to uh, help support that uh, in kind of the higher ed space. So uh, we will start out as we always do. Uh, Eric, if you want to just intro yourself uh, briefly and kind of go over your professional journey of how you got to be where you are today. Yeah, thank you very much, Dustin, for having me. So just a little bit about myself. Um, first generation college graduate. Um, spent now just a little over 20 years in the ed, ed tech market experience. Um, I always like to say I've had my fair share of the obstacles, setbacks, and failures, <laughs> layoffs, mm-hmm. terminations, et cetera. Um, but I always like to say with those experiences come really the uh, ability to understand the adversity growth and ability to humanize the obstacles and turn those into a success, successes. Um, so my first really true exposure to the ed tech industry was a startup uh, based in the Bay Area called Applia. Um, Applia was led by a Stanford, then Stanford uh, University economist, Nobel laureate. Um, and this opportunity has really kind of stayed with me. So Applia enabled me to, to let, to meet, uh, what became my mentor, Sally Elliott and let, you know, led me for the 14 years to work with her at Thompson learning, which became Cengage, turn it in. And now, um, today I'm president of America's at original, which is a tech similarity, tech similarity detection, um, an academic integrity, uh, company which I helped launch the North American operation to expand their reach and presence from the Europe and Nordics. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. Like I, I, I think most people maybe are familiar with, uh, turn it in, but I think, um, I guess maybe I'm not sure like if they're like global as well, but I think just like I, that caught my eye of like, Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. This is something that's, uh, you know, maybe on a different scale or coming from a very different, uh, perspective or just culture, I guess. But, um, if you want to just, I guess, also just lay the groundwork, though, just so that people uh, can have the full context, like explain a little bit about what uh, our original does. Absolutely. So original is a set of kind of online academic integrity tools and services uh, that are primarily utilized by secondary, post-secondary and corporations. And it really is to assist ensuring originality and authenticity of written work. Um, the company is, is, was launched in September of 2020. 
Um, and it was really when two European tech similarity detection leaders, Erkin from Sweden and Plagscan from Germany, uh, came together and combined now with over three decades of knowledge and experience uh, when we launched the original brand. So as you said, most individuals are familiar with, with Turnitin. Um, it's tech similarity detection, and I don't use the words uh, plagiarism detection. Um, I think that's a misnomer in the market. There's no such thing as plagiarism detection. So no software or tool can actually detect plagiarism. I think that's probably the biggest thing of, and takeaway from, from any of your listeners today, uh, that no, tech, no, no detection of plagiarism can be automatically done. We do need individual professors, evaluators to be able to see what the text is being matched to and then make that evaluation. So, um, you know, the, the original provides services to be able to match, tech, match text to, to a vast amount of Internet content, uh, scholarly journals and academic resources, and then student content from over 20 years to be able to provide then to an evaluator to actually make an educated decision whether that content then is has been plagiarized. Yeah, I was just listening to um, another random podcast, and that kind of makes me think of like, because, you know, because sometimes it's like if somebody's being hesitant about like, oh, we have data and like we're being like data driven, like some people are like hesitant because like, okay, well, is the data making the decisions? It's like, no, human beings are like we are data informed, you know, uh, practitioners, faculty and, you know, whomever that, like you said, are equipped with, uh, you know, this information to say like, oh, okay, well, I see what this was sort of pulling up and maybe that's not a concern or, you know, this is something that we need to, uh, you know, be, you know, pursue further and all that. So um yeah because i always think just like you know there's to be that human element for sure um just to uh yeah moderate things yeah, and just sort of yeah and and one other thing dustin i think the thing is the the human element doesn't necessarily have to be the bad guy you, you can also empathize with students and it can be a teaching and learning moment on how to properly cite the you know cite the reference um it can be a teaching and moment teaching and learning moment to be able to have the conversation of maybe you shouldn't copy directly from a website, ha have that empathy with the student. I mean, if you take from what happened last year, pushing and, and you know forcing students directly to an online and remote learning, you have to have some, some type of empathy with the student. It's a good way to have, have a bond with your end learner, right? So this is a good way to have that, that empathy and, and the teachable moment um, with the end, end user here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I think that, you know, it's just one of those trend lines that you can see of like, Oh, okay. Students seem to be like earnestly confused. Like they were not trying to kind of, you know, yeah. Plagiarize, pull one over on their, uh, professor, you know, they, they just didn't understand what they were doing was wrong. So, you know, it's, it's yeah. Operating with that empathy and also saying like, you know, can we do something to help, you know, reinforce these concepts about, uh, you know, citing things and all that. But, um, yeah. So I don't, you know, you, you mentioned obviously being in this space for a long time, you know, these things are kind of, you know, uh, troubles that are as old as, uh, as time kind of thing of just, you know, uh, needing to work with students on, uh, proper etiquette around, uh, citing and, you know, doing uh, research papers and everything, but, um, just broadly, you know, over these past decades, um, how do you feel like online learning has impacted academic integrity? And then we'll focus in a bit more on, you know, obviously like the work that you all been doing over, um, this past year. 
Yeah, Dustin. I think so. I think if if we start talking about academic integrity, it's always good to to set the stage from a benchmark perspective. You know, what what is the issue? What is the problem? Um, you know, I always like to kind of talk about the most well known study talking about referring to academic integrity, and I think we would have to go back uh, looking at the late Dr. Don McCabe. Uh, and and the and the International Center for Academic Integrity, they conducted a study uh, with sur num surveying university students from the fall of 2002 to the spring of, of 2015. And what they wanted to look at was the number of university students who admitted uh, cheating in some form. And and cheating could could actually take the the uh, the actual form of percent of, of who admitted cheating on test. It could be on written assignments and then quantifying it in written assignments or, or cheating. Uh, and the sample size was quite large. So if we look at undergraduate students, it was about 71,000 students. And the percent of it who admitted cheating on a test was roughly 39%. The percent who admitted cheating on written assignments, so this is something that's uh, similar to an original or a turn-it-in or anti-plagiarism solution could actually deter or assist with was 62%. And then if you quantified the number of total who admitted on written or test cheating uh, was 68%. So what you could see is, you know, cheating is, is pretty common in education. It, it's changed over the years, both in character and body. Um, but, you know, cheating also refers not only to the appearance and form of cheating, but also in the perceptions of cheating. Um, you know, I, I like to reference research that was done by uh, University of California, uh, San Diego, uh, Professor Tricia Bertram uh, Galland. You know, she recognizes that, that the changes in the educational system, not only both, you know, society and technology changes over time, but also the opportunities and temp temptations to cheat. So you see that it's very easy for students to go out to the Internet, go out control C, control V directly from Wikipedia or a specific website and go in and actually then uh, copy that and paste that into their paper. And you start listening to focus groups. You start looking at the research and time constraints, you know, student behavior is very, very, very predictable. Time constraints is typically the number one issue. Um, your papers do at 1145. Typically you see, you know, you can go to your learning management system and see when students are actually submitting it's going to be about 1130, right? We all, we, we all know that, that predictability. Um, but I think there's also some motivators here um, that are not in the students' fa favor. We, we tell the students what they can't do, right? Don't plagiarize. Don't do this. Don't do that. Instead of providing an, an, uh, kind of an integrity approach of offering teachable moments, like I talked about earlier, kind of moments of real-world guidelines for students on why they should be moral and ethical, kind of an ethical primer. Um, so I think it's just kind of incentives should actually be re realigned. Um, and we can actually provide those with some resources um, from some quality, from some quality resources from the International Center for Academic Integrity. So I think, you know, step back just a little and, and you know, you look at what the research tells us, you look at the studies, again, prior to COVID or prior to this global pandemic. And it, it, they're quite staggering, Dustin. Yeah. Um, well, and I guess just really quick is sort of like a, a yes or no, because I imagine this is the case and I feel like I've maybe uh, heard it. And the idea of like online learning, you said like, you know, 
students cheating, you know, has been around, I mean, you know, it's just changed its shape. Uh, do you encounter people a lot in your work that think that cheating has like dramatically increased with the advent of online learning? <laughs> that's, that's the uh, million dollar question, right? So you will have proponents that will say, yes, it has. Um, but I think that what, what this, what the research will tell you is that it's no, there's, there's no, the, the, we see just as many many matches in online as traditional face to face right what i will what i'd like to deflect if you will this is going to be a deflection question <laughs> response <laughs> so i apologize to your listeners um what i will say is that what we have started to see and if you would have looked at the 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 proceedings from the international center of academic integrity's uh conference from earlier this year what you would start to notice is a lot of trends and a lot of um, a, a lot of talk about these academic file sharing sites, and what I actually call the digital sharing economy. Mm -hmm. And these academic file sharing sites pose a real academic, a real risk to academic integrity. Um, there's no easy solution to file <laughs> file sharing sites, but it's imperative for you know the educational community, and I'll also say parents to know. Um, that these sites exist. So what are these? These basically are kind of the Napster of academia. I mean, it's basically going out, um, tests are being shared on these. Uh, you can actually go out and, and buy an essay, uh, buy a homework solution. Um, but unfortunately, we find ourselves in a kind of a whack-a-mole type of scenario when one gets down or, or taken, taken down, you know, and it, it, or exposed, another one pops up. And, you know, I feel parents and I, I'm, I have a son that's going into his junior year in high school and we have these conversations quite frequently, but I feel parents, schools and university administrators kind of need to be more familiar with these unauthorized use of, of what uh, teachers and professors course content basically being, I won't be said stolen, but it, their, their IP is essentially being utilized in a way that's not, uh, not, not, not fair. Um, so basically you have quiz, lab manuals, essays, exams out there that are in circulation today and students are going out there and purchasing them and, and utilizing them. Um, and you know, it, it's just a, a different way. It, it's a different way that, uh, causes some real concern, um, on the, on the academic integrity side. Um, but I want to pause here because I, I think I, I want to make sure that we're not confusing student collaboration or group work which I think we would all agree, you know, should be encouraged with within an educational setting. But where it crosses its line, where we cross the line is where artifacts are being shared by students when in fact the files or the artifacts, as I'm calling them, are, are owned by the instructor um, or potentially a university like in the UK or in Australia. Um, so we don't want to normalize the behaviors that are currently trending with these file sharing sites. Um, or fall prey to their marketing message of, you know, studying smarter. Is it studying smarter or, you know, should, should you be able to <laughs> complete, a, uh, complete a homework in 30 seconds on Canvas or Moodle or, or Brightspace, right? You know, as an instructor, if I'm seeing trends of being able to complete that in 30 seconds when I know it's going to take me at least 45 minutes an hour, that, that's a pretty disturbing trend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. And I think it's like, you know, unfortunately to see 
and then and this is like like big existential question. I don't have any idea what the answer is, but like, you know, students who know that like, okay, this credential that I'm pursuing is, you know, part of the solutions, kind of the key that will at least open the door uh, towards better opportunities and jobs and all that. So they're kind of just trying to like go through and check all the boxes and everything. So it's kind of like, you know, like you said, like kind of hitting on more, maybe more of that emotional piece or something, or sort of, uh, you know, creating that culture of having that internal motivator to understand why academic integrity is important and just sort of, you know, those sort of things. Cause I think like, you know, that, that check will come due eventually, you know, either literally or figuratively or whatever. But like, you know, if you're just breezing through, you know, and using these artifacts and, you know, yeah, getting things done and not actually like learning and solidifying, you know, the learning, then it's like, okay, well then you get a job and then you're like not good at it or so, you know, you're like, you just don't know your stuff. So you're Dustin, you're, you're hitting right on, you're hitting on, I mean, you're on it. I mean, there's an urgency to solve this issue. I mean, we're hearing this from employers that stay in the institutions are granting degrees, right? That students don't have those basic skills that are needed to, to function and, you know, um, in business marketing, or I guess it's more non-specialized jobs right now, you know, I think we've heard this over and over and over, uh, over the years. Um, but do we need to move to more of a skills-based model that matches the needs of the employer with the outcome skills, you know, certified granted by the institution? I think that's a different question, but at the end of the day, if a student or a learner is is not doing this and and granting the get, getting the the competency of of this basic assignment right this is a this this builds on itself if 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 it goes back to the integrity of the assignment the integrity of the degree um, that it, it is concerning and it we 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 have a bigger issue that we have that, that we're building upon in this conversation that we're not going to be able to solve today <laughs> Right. Um, right. But but it, it starts, you know, you start having that conversation. And yes, we do need to be more cognizant of these the, this digital sharing economy because it does it does cause problems in the long run. Yeah. Well, and I think it's just the idea, like the work that you all are doing and everything, you know, uh, supporting institutions and, uh, you know, the students learning experience and everything. It's kind of like in my mind always thinks of like, you know, these sort of visual metaphors, whatever, like, it's like, you're just trying to kind of prune and like, keep things sort of in check. Cause like you said, it's like always kind of like, you know, going to be sort of, uh, yeah, whack-a-mole and everything, but, um, catching it when you can having those educational conversations, trying to like get ahead of it in terms of things that you might put into like an orientation experience or, yes. you know, uh, articulating yes. in the beginning of courses and things. So, um, yeah, it's like, you know, it's a good fight, you know, kind of keep fighting the good fight because I think we're very nearing uh, some like existential dread of just like, oh my God, I don't know, like, what do we do? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of culture shifts. And I think, you know, really making intentional moves towards like wanting to kind of uh, facilitate that culture of uh, honoring, you know, the importance and the integrity of, uh, you know, learning honestly and uh, all of that so i think um because you mentioned too like some of it's like you know it may be acts of maybe like desperation on students uh, due to like time constraints or something so um just to kind of honor like the moment we're in because maybe we did see any kind of marginal uptick or uh, anything over this past year because obviously people were kind of coping with a lot like what have you seen maybe as the impact of any you know of the disruptions brought on by the pandemic over this past year plus yeah, I mean, I I, th I think you know what 
the certainly from a, I think maybe I'll answer this in as a two pronged uh, response here. Mm-hmm. Um, the pandemic certainly from a technology perspective, internal, <laughs> it was from a load and technology perspective. Um, you know, I always like to say it was very, very good from a business perspective. Um, the the real heroes internally at the company were the the technology folks, right? Because they were the ones that had to had to see you know the the fifteen twenty twenty five times load that that the students were submitting to the papers. It was an all time high, right? It's if if companies were not doing load testing, they were able now to actually do to to actually realize real time load testing in twenty twenty. Um, so the technology folks, kudos to every single ed tech out there um, for being able to actually support the the widespread um, and large uh, load that was happening uh, in 2020. From a pandemic perspective, I think um, it was it was really you know I, I think we're going to have to look back and do some type of quality control because. When March and April came around, it it was pretty much a forced remote and online learning. I think every ed tech over you know the last twenty years or eighteen years, fifteen years, we were trying to get individuals to buy into quote e learning, online learning, move from hybrid. You know, get in individuals to embrace uh, what what tools we knew could could enhance um, the online experience, and we got it. <laughs> In a in a matter of thirty to sixty days, um, but it wasn't good pedagogical tools, right? It was uh, a face on a on Zoom or uh, a Hangout, um, and now we're having to go back and make it a good pedagogical experience for all learners. Um, for an original, it was a needed tool or a, a turn it in or a, a plagiarism prevention tool. You needed tool an academic integrity tool. You had to have that type of quality assurance or a compliance tool because how were you going to guarantee or how were you going to ensure uh, that a student wasn't going to plagiarize or a learner wasn't going to plagiarize or a researcher wasn't going to to utilize it in in ways that needed to be deterred? Um, so we we our type of of product was something that was a, a, it went from a nice to had maybe to to a need to had. Um, so it was, it was, it was very good for, for our tools where, where we started hearing even prior to the global pandemic was this idea of authorship recognition tools. And what we, what we started implementing early this year in March was the ability to identify writing, writing patterns and, and authenticity of a, of a learner's, uh, a learner's submission. So what that what I mean by that, Dustin, is being able to to take a, a submission from a, a, a written artifact and compare it from a previous artifact, and then c- compare it with a high degree of confidence if that artifact was then indeed written by that same submitter from the the prior submission, um, and so that's the type of of tools kind of. Um, stylometry writing analysis that that we're moving forward with based upon market feedback from not only institutions, but um, kind of accrediting bodies, state bodies, et cetera. Um, so you're starting to see uh, trends come out of kind of needs assessment from institutions based upon what the market was forced to do and now kind of requirements from institutions moving forward. 
Yeah, I mean, it is kind of funny how like it's it seems like there's a lot of catching up to do over this past year. Everybody's sort of like, you know, has been kind of catching up and there might still be some, you know, some stragglers and certainly there's going to be some people that were kind of far ahead of the pack. But um, like you're saying, it's kind of now where it's like you're seeing things that have been around for a long time now starting to evolve because, you know, now it's just kind of like there's a baseline of ubiquity um, of something like a turn it in, which kind of, you know, just kind of dumps out where it's like, oh, this is just like this thing, you know, out on the internet. And that's like, well, you're kind of telling me, I'm like, oh yeah, I mean, that's so smart. Like the idea of like, is this thing like the thing I wrote last week? Like, you know, I, I write the same way. Like I have a style of writing. Everybody kind of does, you know? So it's like almost that same idea of, uh, it makes me think of like, you know, if people forge like documents, you can kind of be like, oh, this isn't like their usual penmanship, you know, like, it, it, you know, they always do their yeah. teas a certain way, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's it, really it's, smart. I always like to equate it. It's kind of like what we the way that we talk about this, it's modernizing your academic integrity policy, right? It, it's basically taking and optimizing the tools that, that have been around forever. And that's that's really kind of the the approach that we're taking. Um, it, it does, you know, I don't want us to be the plagiarism police because the best thing that I was able to engage with an individual learner on Twitter, uh, you know, that that's the best way to, to understand what your user base is. You see students completely freaking out and they say, oh my gosh, my original score was 62%. I, I don't understand how I plagiarize 62%. And I can engage with that, you know, literally engage with that individual student and say, it doesn't mean you plagiarized. And to, to, again, go back to that empathy, I feel completely horrible that that student thinks that they plagiarized 62% because at the end of the day, that individual instructor did not convey that it's a tech similarity, right? That's, that's in our, that's in our conversation and, uh, with the individual instructor, we want to convey that it's it, it literally is not plagiarism detection. So I can actually go out and have that conversation with the direct student to try to keep them at ease, um, to make sure that they know that, you know, yes, don't feel like you, you've, you failed because in a, in a personal statement or if they're doing, you know, a narrative, that's the worst thing that you can do, right? So, you know, engage with that individual learner and be able to say, no, don't worry about it. Great job. Keep it up. But, you know, maybe maybe just try to, to look at the citations and know that, yes, if you're if you're quoting Shakespeare and at writing a paper on Shakespeare, you're probably going to have a pretty high similarity score because there's not much you can do on on Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, well, I guess then, you know, you're, you're sort of alluding to a lot of this. So I don't know if you want to put sort of any uh sort of buttons on anything or anything else that comes to mind because you know i guess I, I i originally framed this question of like navigating this new normal but it's like part of it's the way it's always been but just sort of maybe more of it but i mean yeah just any advice they would give for higher ed pros you know faculty um, those folks out there that are um just kind of yeah navigating these kind of conversations with students and um, utilization of the tools and those sort of things um, any advice that you would give yeah. Well, first, Dustin, I'm not going to, you know, I, I'm not going to, I'm acknowledge that even the pros that were, na you know, navigating in uncharted water, <laughs> chartered waters mm -hmm. coming off of, of the global pandemic. Um, but, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's the global pandemic, changing higher education landscape, respect to, you know, I think online or traditional on, uh, on campus classes, challenges, um, 
you know, I think it's, it's natural and it's pertinent that things are, are going to evolve. Um, I, I just, you know, I, I just read a, a book um, by Sarah Eaton from the, she's an associate professor at the University of Calgary that I'd, I'd highly recommend. Um, it's plagiarism in higher education, tackling tough topics in academic integrity. Highly recommend that. It kind of, it t- touches on several, you know, several of the, the topics that we've we've discussed, you know, why do students plagiarize? Why, why don't faculty always report it? Um, you know, what if researchers themselves play? It was just very well written at a very high level and then kind of digs into places where I think across the campus, um, you know, it would be, it would be uh, approachable. But, you know, I think the one thing I always point back to is the International Center for Academic Integrity does a very, very good job of kind of thinking about from a higher education perspective, breaking it down a reference of basically the six fundamental values, um, which are honesty, trust, fairness, respect, responsibility, and courage. And, you know, at the end of the day, academic integrity is going to come back that the students sitting in our home schools, high schools, colleges, graduate schools, will someday be a member of the global workforce. And so this is where, you know, I put, I always have this conversation with, with my son. I'm hopeful that kind of those six fundamental values can be put to practice early in their education, kind of to ensure that we are better off, you know, later as a global economy. So that, that's, that's kind of always kind of the focus that I, that I take on this. Um, and if anybody ever has any, you know, reference or want to want to have any information from, from those, uh, organizations. It's just academicintegrity.org for the International Center for Academic Integrity. And for any of your European listeners, uh, for the European Network for Academic Integrity, it's just academicintegrity.eu. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, that, that was definitely a resource I wanted to connect out to and I uh, appreciate you, uh, sharing some of the other, uh, stuff as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, um, any other like resources, books, podcast articles, anything else that you'd want to mention just so we could uh, flesh out the uh, show notes for this episode? Yeah. The other, the only other one I would say is Dr. Thomas Lancaster has been talking about contract cheating, um, you know, since 2008. And I, I've, I've really pushed the digital sharing economy and I, I can't, I can't overstate how how much of, a, of an issue the academic file sharing sites are to higher education, to, to K-12, to all of academic integrity. Um, you know, anything that he 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 reports on or publishes, I, I think it is, is of utmost importance. Um, and I and I think, again, just the more you can inform your students on how much of an issue academic file and academic integrity file sharing sites are. I would highly recommend, you know, even calling them out that these these tools are not permitted in higher education, even in, in your syllabus. It, it just is going to protect the integrity of the institution. Yeah, and I mean, that that feels like a great place to end. But I I do always like you know any other like final thought or call to action because I think like. Yeah, I mean, that's really the crux of it is like calling it out, acknowledging why it's wrong, setting clear kind of expectations and consequences, because I think like, you know, a lot of this makes me think of and I'm sure it's, you know, there's very similar kind of like 
don't know if there's like a legal basis to all this, but like, you know, just sort of like copyright infringement, like fair use of things, you know, like images online and all that where like, you know, people can't earnestly again, just be like, oh, I didn't know it wasn't right to share out the, you know, exam <laughs> questions. Like, right. you know, the professor shared them all with us. Like, and it's like, I just put them you know, like, and again, and sometimes, you know, you call it out and somebody's like, oh, oh yeah, I guess I, that makes sense. You know, it's, they don't like probably, you know, resist it very heavily for very long. Like if you kind of, again, call it out and really just be like, you know, did the professor say that you could put it up there? Like, it's like, well, they didn't say that we couldn't or something like, but um, yeah, I mean, yeah. again, it's one of those things that you kind of shine a light on it. And I think that uh, is a really big, important first step. So I guess anything else, because I think, you know, some people might say like, oh, that feels sort of like easier said than done. Like, I don't even know maybe like, you know, where to start with that. I mean, like you mentioned, like putting it into syllabuses, but anything else maybe that you've seen just as sort of like broader strategies of, you know, how to maybe kind of, uh, get started at least again, kind of shining that light on um, this issue. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm hopeful that institutions will will put the student in the middle of the you know at the forefront and in the middle of the conversation. It's got to be a grassroots effort. It can't be a top down approach. Again, I think that is where academic integrity policies has been in the past. It's been here's what you can't do, and here's why. That that does work. Let's not let's not you know I I don't think I want to sit here or you know, engage in that conversation and, and try to defend it. But I think if you have that conversation, if we embrace the conversation around why we should have, you know, have focus groups on campus, engage with your students. If the provost, if the president and a, a, a subset of individuals could talk about the practices that are going on in campus, um, I think that's a great way to start the conversation because I think that the faculty as well as that individual at the top um, is going to have a very big eye opener. Um, I know I did. I've had I've participated in three focus groups this spring and believe it, my, my eyes were rolling in the back of my head when you hear what type of practices are going on in campus. It's just it's shocking. But I think the first the first step is the acknowledgement and listening. Right. The second step is to engage the students. The third, the third step is really that full disclosure. So here's what is available. Here's what's, here's uh, as far as kind of on campus. Here's what's not permitted. And I think if we have that full disclosure, right? If we have that full disclosure, if we have the deterrence, that deterrence such as a a, tur a turn it in, a play anti plagiarism, an original. If you have those deterrence, that's that's one of one small part of the overall strategy. That modernization that I talked about um, is, you know, good course design. You can't just expect stu students to ha change a couple of questions and you're, you're going to get, you know, the students aren't going to try to um, game the system. Good course design has to be a part of the overall strategy. Um, so I think it's, it's a multifaceted approach to modernizing your academic, academic integrity strategy. Um, and with a few, you know, again, with a few steps, we can try to to kind of put the foundation together. Um, and, you know, original would love to be a part of that that conversation. Um, you can always go to original.com. That's O-U-R-I-G-I-N-A-L.com. Um, and eric.gibbs at original.com. I would love to be able to connect you with researchers in the field. Um, and again, probably the best resource you can reach out to is the International Center for Academic Integrity.
Yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, and we'll definitely have ways to connect with you and your team and the work that you're all are doing. And uh, yeah, I mean, it makes me think, I think to sort of like connect dots too for some folks, like this is kind of the same practices that you should be thinking about with like digital literacy and like social media, you know, etiquette and those sort of things where it's like oftentimes, again, yeah, it's somebody kind of, you know, high up in an organization kind of wagging the finger and saying like, no, 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 like you can't do these things. And it's like, yes, again, like you said, that is very important, (laughs) you know, set proper role expectations, but also say like, here's how you can like, you know, exist on social media in a way that is uh, proper and, you know, uh, you can network and grow and build communities and like all that, like you can kind of model the way and uh, literally kind of help instruct people in uh, proper behavior versus simply only, uh, you know, saying what you, what somebody can't do. Uh, but even then, like, that's enough of a place to start is like getting started and saying like, hey, these are the things that aren't allowed. Uh, so you're starting to really sort of clear out that ambiguity. Uh, and uh, yeah, just help students, you know, make smarter decisions that are, uh, you know, kind of in, you know, in, in line with academic integrity and everything. So I think, yeah, it's just time well spent and I think can align with other uh, sort of outreach and engagement and learning that uh, you should be doing with your students. So uh, thank you so much, Eric, for for hanging out and sharing all that you did and, you know, taking some time out for the podcast is uh, really great stuff. And again, just a conversation that we haven't really had on the podcast yet. So uh, I'm just very grateful for it. So yeah, just thanks again for uh, jumping on. Yeah, Dustin, thank you very much for your time. And thank you for your listeners time as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.